It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate it. Remember, go to the PeteCallenerShow.com. Click the subscribe button. I do appreciate that. Uh, also, think about becoming a patron. Link is at the PeteCallenerShow.com as well. Patrons help make the show possible. Folks like uh, Ashley, Grant, Lou, Billy, Andy, Robin, Bill, Richard, Timbo, and Luella. Thank you very much for uh, all of the support. Could not do the program without you. Did you hear this story out of um, Dallas-Fort Worth area? There is a suburb uh, called South Lake, Texas, and they overwhelmingly defeated the critical race theory curriculum in an election that was held over the weekend. There were like months of campaigns. Um, they were like 9,000 ballots cast, which is like three times uh, the amount of ballots that normally get cast. Um, and they elected all of the candidates that were backed by a conservative group called the South Lake Families PAC, Political Action Committee, um, including mayor, two city council seats, and two school board seats. The Republican victory came months after liberal groups promoted a five-year cultural competence action plan. <laughs> Why? What is with the left and their five-year plans, right? <clears throat> what, what's the, what is the attraction that uh, central planners and Marxists like this, what, that they always have for these five-year plans? I'll never forget there was a, in Mecklenburg County, this was, gosh, 15 years ago. They probably still have it, actually. Um, probably on their third version of the five-year wipe-out poverty plan, the WAP, the W-O-P, <laughs> the wipe-out poverty plan. And it was a five-year plan. And after the first five years did not see a wiping out of the poverty, they re-upped the five-year plan for another five-year plan, totally going to wipe it out this time. <laughs> um, so the five-year cultural competence action plan. And uh, this was drawn up after an incident three years ago in which students were seen on video chanting the N-word after homecoming at a private event. All conservative-backed candidates won their respective races by between 30 to 70 percentage points. Okay, obviously the 70% is a blowout. The 30% is also a blowout. That's a landslide. So, I mean, just a complete repudiation. In one of the more high-profile races, according uh, to the Washington Examiner piece by Jake Dima, um, one of the, the high-profile uh, high races was Hannah Smith, who was a former clerk for Supreme Court Justices Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito, and she defeated Ed Hernandez, a proponent of the race-based curriculum. Uh, this was for a school board seat. The plan dubbed critical race theory, would have mandated the rooting out of microaggressions, the creation of a district diversity council, and the employing of speakers who would educate students on cultural sensitivity in the suburb that sits less than 30 miles from Dallas. Um, so this critical race theory fight is here. And joining me now is A.P. Dillon. She is a reporter for the North State Journal. You can read her work at nsjonline.com. And A.P., welcome back to the show. How are you? 
I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Certainly. So uh, interesting story. This is all in the national headlines, too. It's sort of like kind of came out of nowhere into the public consciousness, this critical race theory issue. We've been following it for a while, um, but it seems like everybody else is kind of caught up <laughs> to some degree. Um, and there is a story that you've broken out of Wake County, but it has relevance across the state and school districts all over the place. Um, and it is this equity coaching organization that is in Wake County schools and they're running what a critical race theory course or at least they offered one and now they're not so walk us through who is this organization and uh, what were they attempting to do well I, I got a tip that uh, Wake County was offering a professional development course which was titled literally intro to critical race theory um, and that this course was going to be uh, held this spring in May um, so I did an, a records request and I asked for the materials and, you know, who is the vendor for this and, you know, the typical things that you ask when you're when you're looking into um, something like this. And Wake County Schools responded back that the course has been canceled once they realized it existed and they realized <laughs> it existed when I did my records request. <laughs> that um, seems it was... <laughs> weird. That seems weird. How, do, how does yeah. how do you get a, a course offered like this if nobody knows that it's being offered? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I had already done my homework before I did my records request. <laughs> so I knew what I was asking for. And um, apparently it was being uh, it was going to be held or at least run by a group called the Equity Collaborative. Um, now, this is an organization that was founded several years ago, I believe, in 2014. Um, the records on file with the Secretary of State show that it was formed as a limited liability corporation by Jamie Almazan and Democratic Representative for Orange County, Greg Meyer. Um, and according to the website, Almazan was supposed to be the facilitator or teacher for this coach, um, coaching this leadership thing that they were going to do. Um, they had held other uh, trainings in Wake County, apparently, uh, which that came later when I did a separate records request just for the Equity Collaborative. And so this one course, and they offer a whole bunch of courses. I spent uh, about a well, almost two hours, I think, uh, looking through their website, reading some of their presentations, and mm -hmm. uh, the the uh, Equity Collaborative. They've got you know various types of trainings. I I think I counted about I don't know nine or so. Um, developing practices for equitable schooling, equity centered leadership and coaching. Um, they have their advanced series for people. Uh, who are looking to, you know, interrupt the existing system of schooling. And I think that's where the first session, the intro to critical race theory, that's where this course would be, which is interesting because this is this course is described as these conversations are for equity practitioners who are ready to move from changes in their own practice to changes that interrupt the existing system of schooling so this is after you've been so steeped right. in the equity training that now you're ready to go mess with other people <laughs> right exactly and you know the representative i reached out to him for comment and he wasn't going to comment on that and he said he wasn't going to you know share the materials or anything so that was kind of interesting because the materials were already on the website and i knew that i kind of wanted just to see what was going to be said so i, I pulled down the, the uh, presentation it was 31 slides and it was dated May 7th, 2020. So they've given this one before. Right. And it included um, five, uh, the five tenets of critical race theory that include counter storytelling, permanence of racism, whiteness as a property, interest convergence, and the critique of liberalism. Now, interest conversion is also 
got another name. It's intersectionality. Oh, okay. So right. So that's where that's coming from. And so I went and I, I went to the website. I found this as well after reading your story, and it's still up there, which is weird because if they didn't want people to see it, why is it still posted up on the website? Like if he's like, oh, we're not going to tell you what we were discussing. Well, your slideshow is still there. Um, so kind of walking through these counter stories. Um, and this is one that I heard a lot um, at the school board debate about the the uh, social studies and history standards, right, when they were debating this. And the school board member, James Ford, kept talking about these counter stories. He didn't use that term, but he kept talking about how, like, you know, people, different people, different groups have different histories, like their truth, so to speak. And this is what is described in this PowerPoint as a resource that both expose and critique the dominant ideology, which is male, white, and heterosexual, which perpetuates racial stereotypes. Like, that's there's a lot of assumptions built into that term, and this is what is being taught as one of the five tenets of critical race theory, which... You know, the school board members say, oh, it's not being taught in our schools. But this is precisely what's what's being taught to the teachers. Right. Right. Because that's what this was, a training course for teachers. Yes, it was. And it's a total role reversal from what we've been told for decades now that the United States is a melting pot. And there's many races, creeds, languages, religions. You know, this is the kind of thing that I grew up with. And, you know, so I didn't I don't think about race in that way. Um. But, you know, they, they continue to go on and the, they, they talk about the purpose of critical race theory and, and what that is. And they say it's, quote, to unearth what is taken for granted when analyzing race and privilege, as well as profound patterns of exclusion that exist in U.S. society. In other words, everything's racist. <laughs> right. Right. And, and when you get when you start digging into this and we're going to get into sort of the the, the history, because you talk about the historical um uh, roots of critical race theory. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you, anybody who's had any kind of, you know, uh, interaction at all with this concept of white fragility by Robin D'Angelo understands what this is about, which is you call people racist when they get defensive or they get angry at being called a racist, that then becomes proof <laughs> of the racism and so you're in this box you can never you can never get out and so Mm -hmm. these organizations go to uh they go to schools they go to governments they go to businesses right and they run these trainings they get they get uh, a lot of money for doing it um what's interesting though is like does anybody ever graduate is there ever any like did they find racism in these places and did they root it out did they expose the racism did they get rid of the racism it seems like if you're going to be charging the kind of money they're charging, you, you would have something to show, like some success, right? Like you would yeah. be able to show how many Klansmen you turned away from racism or something. Well, that that's true. But it also, you know, the other side of this is that the way a lot of people are seeing this, it's, it's a revival of racism. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, we've gotten past a lot of these things. And most kids these days, they don't they don't look at other kids through that lens. They look at the other kids around them, whether they're nice to them, whether they're on their soccer team. They, they're not looking at these kinds of things. They're looking at what's what's the same about themselves. Now they're being told to look at what's different about themselves, and what's different is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's there's a divisiveness to it. And uh, you know, I, I think it's Christopher Rufo who who's calling it state-sanctioned racism, critical race theory. That's how he he, he talks about it. Um, another person says it's taxpayer-funded racism. 
Yeah, so, it's it's know. neo racism. It's it's just another manifestation of what used to because you've got people literally making the argument under this critical race theory ideology uh, for segregation, segregated mm-hmm. like graduation ceremonies, <laughs> segregated uh, uh, lunch. Uh, uh, schedules and such like well, you got college campuses doing that where it's like they're yeah. not segregated dorms they you know they have safe spaces just for people of color um you know you're not allowed in there if you're a white person or an asian person or you know it's only for people of color so but you know somehow asians aren't a, a person of color um <laughs> right you know <laughs> that's one of those things but you know the equity collaborative apparently have been doing work with white county for several years and i was able to obtain invoices going back to 2019 i think it was um, there were service contracts for various professional development courses and coaching sessions that, you know, were an hourly rate of like 1500 per person. Hmm. That's like I mean, North that's, State Journal kind yeah, of money. I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong <laughs> profession here. If I could make that an hour. Right. Um, you know, and they held a two-day racial equity institute that was priced at $9,000 a day. Um, you know, in one agreement, they, they brought in a, a speaker to give a national counseling presentation because counseling is the other way that they're introducing critical race theory into um, the classroom. They're using um, social and emotional learning as a stepping stone to um, break down uh, students by identity, race, religion, that kind of thing. And we've seen this pop up in Wake County in a couple of places with diversity surveys and uh, similar items where they were asking kids, you know, about their sexuality and about their religious background and their political beliefs. And these are things that violate federal student privacy right act, the PPRA. Hmm. So um, uh, about two years ago in 2019, when this racial equity institute was happening, this happened in uh, Heritage High School in Northern Wake County. Parents saw it and got calls from their kids that they were very upset by it. Um, so not only did the teacher have them fill out the survey, she put up um, little posters around the room with all the different kinds of answers you could have and had them go stand under each answer. Oh, my God. Yeah, it oh was, my it was God. pretty bad. So um, the parents got really mad, and they contacted the school district. And about two or three weeks later, the curriculum superintendent for Wake County Schools issued a letter, a co-letter, with the director of the Office of Equity Affairs, who said they had nothing to do with it, by the way. But yet they were on this curriculum letter that outlined to teachers that they're not allowed to ask these kinds of questions and it violated federal <laughs> right. privacy. Right right. Yeah, just a heads up, folks. This is illegal. Don't be doing yeah. this. Yeah. Um, so, I, and that was another another letter that I uncovered through records requests. I mean, it's interesting what you get when you ask for it. More with AP in a minute. First, though, if you are asking yourself, why am I still sleeping on this old mattress? Well, stop asking start doing celebrate spring with a free box spring and mattress man mattressmanstores.com get a free box spring when you buy a mattress from the Biltmore collection okay the Biltmore collection is inspired obviously by our very own local landmark mattress man is an exclusive retailer of the Biltmore collection with its luxurious design it's got a blend of old world craftsmanship New World exclusive technology made by Restonic so like edge to edge sleep surface Okay, so if you tend to sleep like maybe like one leg off the bed or something and it's hard to get support underneath the leg as you do that, well, this is the mattress for you. Okay, the Biltmore Collection. Uh, They got five support zones. So you end up with, you know, correct spinal alignment. You get optimal balance of pressure point relief and support. And that means you're going to get a better sleep. You're going to have a healthier sleep. It's going to be more restorative, right? 
and uh, you don't even have to wait. Synchrony Finance offers zero down, zero interest for up to 72 months for qualified applicants. They have tons of flexible financing options. Uh, the mattresses are there. They've got, you know, tons, or dare I say, mountains of inventory uh, in, in town at their stores. So you're not going to be waiting, you know, half a year for your mattress. Go to mattressmanstores.com, click the financing link, apply there, and you can get pre-approved before you even walk in the door. Five-star local delivery service, nationwide shipping, and a 120-day comfort guarantee. So experience the difference at Mattress Man. Four stores in Asheville, Hendersonville, and Arden, their new location on uh, Airport Road there behind the IHOP. So go check them out. Mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. My guest is A.P. Dillon. She's a reporter for the North State Journal. You can read her work at nsjonline.com. Um, an equity coaching organization co-founded by a North Carolina state representative, a guy by the name of Gr- uh, Greg Meyer. He is from Orange County because, of course, he is. Um, and uh, they had uh, this intro to critical race theory. It was going to be a training session for teachers. And you asked about this. So you, so you first saw this where on their internal uh message boards or something like that you you mentioned um I got wake learns yeah. okay yes i got a tip from a teacher who spotted this gotcha and she had already been forced to take um another training series um not last year but the year prior um the office of equity affairs in wake county was established around 2015 and since they came into being they have gone systematically throughout the district um, providing these trainings on uh, white privilege. And um, basically, they're using one that's called Courageous Conversations by Glenn Singleton. Glenn mm. Singleton is a guy who's been around for decades now, and he's yeah. been milking districts all around the country for millions of dollars giving this training. And the net net of the Courageous Conversations is that if you are a white teacher, it is because you're a white teacher that your children of color in your, in your classroom are failing. That's that's the full, you know, yeah. boiled down what, what this training goes by. So you're supposed to become more sensitive to those in your classroom and give them breaks and this kind of thing. Knowing, of course, that you can never get rid of the inherent racism. Uh, and so it's it's always a struggle, which is really the hallmark of all good struggle sessions I have found mm-hmm. is that the struggle never ends, because if it does, then uh, the people who are getting the paychecks for uh, for running the struggle sessions, they have to go find another line of work. And like, honestly, there is something deviously brilliant, right, about the business model. You you create this problem and then go sell the solution at thousands of dollars per hour. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're the only one qualified enough to do the uh, the the training, the solutions, which actually don't ever solve the problem. It's a very it's yes. a very uh, a very smart kind of business concept. I'm I'm in awe of it. Um, let me go back to some of the tenets again, because the tenets of critical race theory. The we went over uh, counter storytelling. Then there was the permanence of racism, and it says that racism controls the political, social, and economic realms of U.S. society. And in critical race theory, racism is seen as an inherent part of the civilization, and it privileges white individuals over people of color in most areas of life, including education. Um, they also talk, and this was, uh, I had not seen this. This was from right from their slideshow. This is, so this is what they're literally, te- I'm just reading off of the slides here. One is, uh, another one is whiteness as property. I had never heard this concept, and I've been following the 
CRT stuff, I thought pretty closely, but uh, this is the embedded racism in American society. Whiteness can be considered a property interest. As a result, this notion operates on different levels. It includes the right of possession, the right to use and enjoyment, the right to disposition, and the right of exclusion. And then they got some pictures of like LeBron James and um, Colin Kaepernick protesting. And they got some like breakout session questions like, how might you use critical race theory to identify and address systemic oppression in your school? <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and part of the permanence thing, this is going back to the, the evolution of critical race theory in the United States. Um, you know, it, it really started to show up here in, in the mid-1970s, um, the critical race theory part. It, its roots date back to the Marxist critical theory that's in that was in Germany in the Frankfurt School in 1937. Um, but in Har- at Harvard Law, they started looking at the legal aspects of, like, the civil rights movement and civil rights act legislation um and who benefited from it and what historical injustices could be reversed so critical race theory took that and molded it into you know racism is inherent it's permanent in people in every aspect of culture individuals institutions that kind of thing and that adaption came from another harvard professor named derek bell uh we some people might remember hearing derek bell's name during the 2020 election or 2012 election sorry um, it, there was video that surfaced of former President Barack Obama at a Harvard rally um, when he was back when he was at Harvard, and he was introducing Derek Bell at this protest, and mm. he compared him to Rosa Parks. Um, <laughs> at that, you know, and it, that's where interest convergence that 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 topic comes from. That was something that that Bell brought into existence. Um, and so, it was then turned into intersectionality and, um, you know, it deals with, you know, people can be disadvantaged by multiple oppressors because you have multiple identities that you can claim victim status with. Right. So, and, and so everybody considered the modern father of CRT. Right. So everybody needs to band together. If you and I are different, but we are both being oppressed by a common enemy, then we band together and are our causes intersect and we should unite to fight the oppressor Um, on this interest convergence. I found this really interesting. Uh, No pun intended. Uh, It's the notion that whites will allow and support racial justice or progress to the extent that there is something positive in it for them or a convergence between the interests of whites and people of color. This tenet acknowledges that white individuals are being the primary beneficiaries of civil rights legislation. So yeah. this is like wiping away all of the gains that were made in the 60s. It's like, well, that didn't really count because white people benefited from that. Because, well, well we yeah. got to pretend that racism doesn't exist anymore. And so, therefore, you guys really benefited. You white people benefited. And so, therefore, it wasn't really for equality. Well, that goes back to Bell, too, because when he, when he kind of coined the term interest convergence, um, he literally said this. The interests of blacks in achieving racial racial equality will be accommodated only when it converges with the interests of whites. Now, he made that comment when he was talking about the Supreme Court decision of Brown versus Board of Education. And of that decision, he also said that it probably it likely, quote, would have been better if the Supreme Court had, had ordered that the races be given separate but equal schools. Hmm. So he was already... You know, trying to walk back integration. You you didn't think the Brown versus Board of Education decision was a good thing. That's amazing. Um, Yes. So this then goes to the fifth tenet, the critique of liberalism. 
stems from the ideas of colorblindness, the neutrality of the law, incremental change, and equal opportunity for all. Critique of liberalism allows whites to feel consciously irresponsible for the hardships people of color face and encounter daily and also maintain whites' powers and uh, strongholds within society. And they uh, they go on to uh, to knock the idea of meritocracy, um, that this is this is simply to allow the status quo to feel good. <laughs> and to have a clear conscience. Um, and uh, they say the powerful maintain power and only relinquish portions of it when they have nothing to lose. Uh, and they receive platitudes and compliments when they do choose to dole out portions of their power. Um, and so this is why, and you made this connection just a few moments ago, this is why people who pay attention to this understand the connections to Marxism. And I know how it sounds as I say the words, you know, oh, it's Marxism. Like, I know there are people like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever, you know, McCarthy looking for commies everywhere. But this actually is true. It actually is. Right, it actually, it actually is. is All right, something else that is true, old grouches, military surplus, real U.S. military surplus. That's what Tim gets at old grouches, military surplus in downtown Clyde. Uh, his dad started the company three decades ago plus now, and Tim took it over when his father passed away. And uh, this is what they do. They get really cool, unique items, sometimes in bulk, sometimes, you know, just a couple. Uh, so you always got to be checking in with Tim. Uh, go to the website uh, or send him a message or go into the shop. He's open Monday through Saturday, downtown Clyde, on Main Street, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. And he's uh, he's going to tell you about like the deals that he's got and the new equipment, uh, like body armor that comes in. And you never know when, because a lot of the stuff is in high demand now, so you never know when it's coming in. Um, and he you know he'll give you the heads up. He's got ammo cans. He's got first aid kits, uh, customizable uh, gun accessories as well. Tons of stuff, backpacks and uh, outdoor gear. Go to oldgrouch.com or walk on into the store and tell them you heard it here on the podcast. I appreciate that. Old Grouch's military surplus in downtown Clyde and at oldgrouch.com. All right. A.P. Dillon is a reporter for the North State Journal, and uh, the website is nsjonline.com. We're talking about our latest piece uh, called Legislators Equity Coaching Organization Involved in Wake County Schools CRT Course. You can read all about it at the North State Journal. All right. So what are the roots of uh, critical race theory? You say this is uh, an offshoot of Marxist critical theory. Yes, it is. That's where it comes from. Um, 1937, the Frankfurt School in Germany, there was a theory put forth, critical theory, that basically broke down all society into two groups, oppressed and oppressors. Um, modern critical race theory took that and put it through uh, a racial lens. So it's divided into into races instead. Um, and some races are oppressing others. And that's sort of where, where that came from. Um, there was a, it was originally looked at at Harvard, as I said earlier, um, in the mid-1970s in terms of um, legal aspects um, as to whether there was a legal definition of an oppressing uh, force versus oppressors and that kind of thing. Um, but it, it, it assumes, the new critical race theory assumes that racism is the norm and that it's embedded in every person and every societal structure. Um, and that's just not current. That's past present i mean and it's going to go on into the future this is a never-ending thing it will never be fixed mm -hmm. um so critical race theorists like to use terms like social justice and privilege and equity diversity inclusion all these terms um can be you know ever-changing they change the goalposts on them on a regular basis 
Um, for example, equity has been used by critical race theorists to propose things like slavery reparations or a redistribution of wealth and property, which is a Marxist idea. Um, you know, and then you've got people in, in the sphere there taking it even further. Um, you know, if you look at the 1619 project um, out of the New York Times, that one is basically a, a platform for critical race theory. It goes back and redefines our history based on when slaves were first brought to the colonies. And uh, there have been numerous scholars who have called out the historical and factual inaccuracies of that piece of yeah. work. And the defense um, by the reporter um, was essentially, this is counter storytelling, right? It's like the first right. tenet she called of... It, she, yeah, she called it counter storytelling, and she also said that it, it was her truth. Right. So, She's now um, going to be teaching journalism classes at UNC uh, Chapel Hill, right? She just got yeah, some. She, she's been given some big chairship. It's racism in, in journalism, investigative journalism, I think is the title. Um, yeah. Oh, is it Duke? So. Is it Duke or Chapel Hill? No, it's, it's Chapel Hill. It's oh. UNC. It's the night school. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, um, you know, it takes that kind of thing. And, you know, you've got other people taking even further, um, you know, uh, Ibram Kendi is one who's out there. He's he can he calls himself an anti-racist. Um, he suggested that um, there be a national department of anti-racism established <laughs> um, so that it could monitor and penalize citizens or organizations that might be deemed as racist. Um, you know, but, you know, corporations are already doing this on their own. <laughs> well, and that's interesting. They're going to decide who who is and who isn't racist, but everybody's racist. So, right. so kind yeah. of fixes in. <laughs> I mean, the, the whole he, he tweeted an entire thread about this um, not so long ago. And the whole thing was very reminiscent of not to bring up, you know, an oft used example, but an ad was shrugged at the Department of Truth. Yeah. You know, so that, that sort of reminded me of that. Right. Um, but go ahead. Yeah. And so when you have a government agency that is um, that's now going to be punishing people for not following uh, you know, certain new social norms and and adopting these things. This is why people people frame this. John McWhorter, for one, Glenn Lowry, they talk about this as an as a religion, or I guess it's a cult at this point. Maybe in a couple of uh, decades, if it survives, it'll be a religion. But it it has all the hallmarks of it, and this is the the equivalent of selling indulgences right you, you you hire these people they come into your organization uh they run you through the training they call a bunch of white people racist and then they give you the certificate you post it on the door maybe a smear of blood so the you know the woke mob passes you by and you survive <laughs> like that it, it it has all of these like the the there are tenets of the faith right and people have to they just got to believe these things and they're not allowed to nor are they encouraged to assess these things with critical thinking because they're it's the whole idea is just embedded with contradiction right mm -hmm. um like you just mentioned uh with kendy calls himself anti-racist yet everything is through the prism of race and he makes you know sweeping generalizations about human beings based solely on their race this is it is a it is a distilled racialism that he is practicing and he's advocating. Uh, yet he, you know, well, I throw the word anti in front of it, just like anti-fascist, and now I'm the good guy, right? Right. Yeah. So he's doing exactly what he espouses to not be doing. Right. Um, so this is but, now getting. This is not just Wake County, and I know, and I kind of veered off course a little bit here from the uh, uh, from the Wake County uh, uh, story a little bit. I know, but there is a larger story to tell here, and you mentioned this as well in your piece that um, that you know Trump 
uh, when he was president, he told all of these agencies, stop teaching this, stop training, like banned all of that stuff. Biden comes yeah. in and undoes that. Yeah, he completely undid it. And he's gone a step further. Um, on April 19th, uh, through his Department of Education, they submitted a new rule that would alter the way civics and history are taught. Um, and the new rule includes support for what's called culturally responsive teaching. And it's got the same acronym CRT as critical race theory. Oh, it's, look at that. Yeah, it does. It is <laughs> culturally responsive teaching has the elements of critical race theory in it. It's it's base it's teaching based on someone's race. Um, and you know, while getting to know your students is a great thing and being able to understand them and, and understand the, the hurdles they might be going through in their own lives, you know, that's that's wonderful and teachers often do that. And I can't think of any teacher who really doesn't make that effort. Um this goes a step further that there should be there should be materials and things that speak to that person's culture in order to help them understand. So uh, that's that's part of what cultural responsive teaching has packed in it. Um, <laughs> it's it, it's it's a form of teaching. It's it's claiming to bridge to bridge race and culture gaps between teachers and students, but it assumes that the race of the teacher is the main obstacle. Right. So that that's that there you have your critical race theory in there. Well, and look, I think that there is some truth. I've talked with Marcus Brandon, former state lawmaker, a Democrat who is black, and, and but he is a big proponent of school choice, right? And one mm -hmm. of the things he says this gets him in trouble that he that he talks about though is that uh, a lot of black students benefit from having black teachers. And um, I, I think that uh, there was a slide, I think there was a slide uh, that they used in this presentation that showed if you have just one black teacher, the black students have much lower rates of dropping out. And so I think there is something there um, that, you know, kids learn differently. And by the way, if this isn't uh, another example of why there should be school choice. <laughs> Get your kids out of these schools. Uh, I, I don't know what else. No, no, you there, need. there are benefits. There, there have been noted benefits from that sort of thing. The, the dropout rate does decrease. Mm -hmm. that, that's an important thing to note and to keep in the forefront. But you know, also being able to understand, you know, having quality teachers and veteran teachers in there who can recognize a student who might have some some issues at their home life or. That kind of thing Th those are important things too and I, I can i can see the value in that kind of training however blaming the teacher and asking them to examine their their implicit bias or their their privilege i mean this is i think kind of an insult to teachers and teachers out there know their job they know how to handle their students they know how to to talk to their students and find ways to help them learn and this is just this is just a way to embarrass them in some ways. It seems interesting to me that there hasn't been pushback from teachers unions. And let's be, you know, let's be fair that, that the profession of teaching is predominantly comprised of white women, right? I mean, just across the board in North Carolina, but also in the nation, white women are attracted to um, that profession more so than, say, black men, for example. So, Well, <laughs> the teachers' unions are actually in favor of critical race theory. Right. So why? I don't... What's that? Because it seems like they're being attacked, right? A lot of their demographic, a lot of their, their, uh, their sp supporters are being attacked. Uh, yeah, they are actually. And uh, a number of teachers have come to me behind the scenes and given me materials and, hmm. you know, showed me what, what they're being taught or what they're being trained on. And, it, you know, they, they're frustrated, they're upset. But if they push back on it, they risk being isolated by union members or by other faculty members or their, their principal or their assistant principal. They, I've seen teachers who have 
been set aside because they asked a simple question during mm. one of these things and they had the entire room turn a swivel turn on a swivel and stare at them you know, so <laughs> i mean asking a question in these things is verboten you, you just keep your head down you get through it and you just do it but that's that's not that's not showing respect to the teaching profession that's that's but, admonishing <laughs> yeah and it's also empowering this self-destructive force and that's what it is yeah. and by the way this the reason why like i, I mean i'm, I'm going to answer my own question here which is like i recognize why the teachers union doesn't it's, it's it's a quest for power and this is the problem with all marxism because at some well, point yeah. you run out of the bad guy to attack right when you're especially in this kind of circumstance where it's like who are we trying to label as the bad people right so you say well it's institutional it's systemic okay so it's everything it's everyone but nobody and nothing and so it's you're you're sort of like punching smoke well that means though that um that that can shift at any moment and if you've had people that have been your allies for a long time part of the you know the the union movement well if you need to be sacrificed for the collective uh, advancement to advance that agenda then you're going to get sacrificed this is the self-destructive nature of all marxism yeah. these trainings are using critical race theory to conduct the trainings they they're 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 creating a system of oppressed and oppressors <laughs> right and it, you know <laughs> that's pretty much what's happening there the, the trainer is the oppressor and the trainees are the oppressed right. and they're, they're using that power structure in order to further the topic all right, we'll wrap with AP Dillon in a minute. First, I got to tell you about General Equipment Rental. This is where uh, you need to go if you need to rent a piece of equipment. I know I'm going to be making many trips there in the coming years because <laughs> I'm getting a house and we're getting close now. They're almost done building it and I'm looking forward to it. And I've got some ideas for some projects, but I'm not interested in buying some of the big tools. Um, and so I'm just going to rent them from General Equipment Rental. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to using some of the big machinery, although I don't know if the neighbors are, but uh, <laughs> but I am. And uh, I, I also uh, picked up a uh, weed whacker from General Equipment Rental a couple weekends ago uh, in preparation because I'm going to have to you know, resupply all of my outdoor yard equipment. They are your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service providers. So they know everything there is to know about these machines, okay? The Husqvarna series, the uh, the Honda series, they know the difference, you know, models and, and year to year and changes that get made and features that, uh, that get added. They know all of this and they know all of the deals too. So go check them out. Their website is generalrents.com and they are located in Weaverville. They're at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. So super convenient to get to and great people over there. Great shop and tons of parking so if you got the uh you know the big trucks uh and you're worried about fitting in the parking lot don't worry it's a massive parking lot okay general equipment rental all your equipment needs are in one place at general equipment rental in weaverville generalrents.com think outside your toolbox my guest is ap dylan she is a reporter at the north state journal the website is nsjonline.com um let me there's a related bill i saw you wrote uh, you write about as well senate bill 700 this is called mm -hmm. the balanced political discussions in classrooms act so yes. <laughs> not that the title is pretty misleading but what does this do <laughs> Well, this one uh, would require the State Board of Education to make sure the curriculum and materials um, reflect a balanced viewpoint. There's been a lot of conversation about critical race theory and a lot of conversation about inappropriate materials and, and discussions in classrooms. Um, in particular, during the Trump era, there was a lot of Trump bashing. 
um, you know, quizzes that showed Republicans were awful, um, you know, and that kind of thing. Or they would be using just one sole source for their daily news, like CNN, without offering something from, say, Fox News. Um, so there was a lot of this had been bubbling up for, for a number of years, and I've been documenting this in, in multiple school districts across the years. Um, but the bill specifically wants um, the view, when a viewpoint of one of the two major political parties in the United States is presented through materials or assignments or lectures or any other kind of instruction in the classroom, the viewpoint of the alternative political party has to also be presented and given equal weight during the same instructional unit. And that's quoting the semi-paraphrased from the bill. Right. Um, it's Senator Chuck Edwards' bill from Henderson. And um, he's he's been working on this for a, a number of weeks uh, prior to my talking to him. And he said that, um, and I'll quote from, from the article, the impetus for this bill was simply that he I continued to get reports from concerned parents and students that there's much discussion taking place in classrooms around political opinion and that more times than not, it's not presented in a balanced way. Mm-hmm. Um, Which so makes this, sense. Those are the complaints yeah. you will hear if it's not balanced. If you if it's balanced, you're not going to hear the complaints, right? Parents are going to say, right. okay, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that most people would hope that their, their teacher would check their political affiliation at the door. And I think a lot of most teachers do, but there are the ones here and there that are not doing that. And uh, they have the support of some of their administration at their schools. For example, um, in the article, I, I note that the Washington Free Weekend had a detailed report on a controversial lesson at Ardrey Kell High School in Charlotte Mecklenburg. Now, that's one of the top high schools there. Mm-hmm. It's nationally ranked. Yeah, it's in the southeastern and, wedge of Charlotte, yeah. which is where all the Republicans have moved. It's like a if you look at the Mecklenburg County, it looks like a big uh, a big pie, and that's it's what is it like the five o'clock position to six yeah, o'clock position down. There. Yeah, it's like that little sliver. That's where all the Republicans live. <laughs> yep. Well, the lesson uh, basically downplayed the Holocaust and likened it to nineteenth likened nineteenth century Americans to Nazis. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, and it, uh, it it compared it compared slavery to the Holocaust hmm. in that you know, and that slavery was worse because it it lasted longer than the Holocaust. So she was she was like doing a one-upmanship with right with, you know horrible events. Right. It was it was very weird comparison. Yeah. Um, Why not just say there human beings do terrible things to each other? Like it, it doesn't have to. We don't have to rank it. Oh, by the way, this was one of the things I think that um, one of the state school board members uh, questioned when they were going over the state standards for history and social studies. He said, you know, well, how come there's no mention in here about communism? That's killed like 100 million people and counting. Right. And that's never mentioned in any of these discussions. Yeah, that's not that. Well, that's not considered, quote, real history. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what um, the other board member, James Ford, said that they wanted to focus on. And he brought in Wake County's Office of Equity Affairs and some other students um, to talk about how they wanted to learn more real history. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some some topics they brought up, like redlining, which I think is a good thing to, to include in the. In Absolutely. There, but, you know, the rest of it was all completely race based and, and tied back to slavery. So I, I, it's a little bit one-sided there there was another um, oh i'm sorry go ahead go ahead no oh, i was gonna um, say there's a one other component here to the uh, to the bill that i actually think might be the more valuable piece of the bill this senate bill 700 which is mm-hmm. the posting of the lessons um yes. for parents to see well yes i mean this is something that parents have wanted for a long time and this is something that parents have actually come to me over the years with um they've had trouble getting a hold of a workbook that their child was using 
or slides to a lesson that the child was using, they would contact the teacher and ask for the material. And the teacher would then send them to the principal and the principal would say, you need to talk to the district. <laughs> um, and this happened with multiple moms here in Wake County. Um, we finally got some answers on a couple items. Um, I had this happen in, with one of my own students. I finally got the materials and it, <laughs> it was a fight. It, it was a three month fight and they were really hoping that I would drop it, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I've seen this in other districts in other areas. Um, a lot of teachers already do have like a classroom website that's a subset of their their class or their school website, um, but not everything is posted there. And sometimes they're using apps that are questionable mm -hmm. that the parents are finding these questionable lessons on. Uh, Brain Pop is one that comes to mind. Um, another one is called Flowcabulary. Um, there's, there's a bunch of them and they have very lopsided materials in their um, scholastics website also some of their news items are very um i would i wouldn't say that they're horrible but i would definitely say they have a questionable component they there's definitely agenda in some of the mm -hmm. some of the materials that they produce they're very heavy on climate change in some places in other places they have um criticized former president trump <laughs> um and likened him to you know and then made it later in the article made a juxtaposition to you know the holocaust oh my gosh um you know th these are the kinds of things that are sent to me on a pretty regular basis right look and this is the thing and, and again all presidents mess up right everybody's mm -hmm. uh, everybody falls short like i get all of that and i'm not saying don't teach that stuff um i, I just i find it automatically suspicious if an education system is saying we don't want parents to see the materials we're teaching their kids. That right. <laughs> that to me is uh, it, it's that's an indefensible position. Well, uh, that was part of what happened in Lee County. Um, they were they were basically saying to go around parents. Um, there was a thing called Ed Camp Equity that happens in 2019 and in 2020 before COVID, and one of the sessions that they had was talking about how, how we can be white allies. To, to people of color. And in that session, they talked about how parents, um, you need to go around the parents if they're not on board. Yeah, they're, because they're the work part is of... too important and you have to you have to get to the kid. <laughs> they're part of the olds, right? Isn't that what yeah, the, exactly. Maoist was called? They, they called them the olds. Um, That's right. They're, they're not involved in the struggle session. They must get out of the way. Yeah. Did they hand out did they hand out uh, like a, a, a colored shirt, like a uniform shirt color? Okay. Anyway, um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, all right. Uh, thank you very much for your time. AP Dillon, she is a reporter at the North State Journal. You can read her work at nsjonline.com. As always, a pleasure. Thanks for spending so much time with me and for doing this important story. I appreciate it. Thank you. And part two is coming out pretty soon. So stay tuned. Will do. That's AP Dillon from the North State Journal. And uh, here's something you should do. If you are buying or selling a home, do what I did, and that is to call Rowena Patton uh, and her all-star powerhouse team, 333-4483. Christy and I went to buy our house, and we were like, what do we want to do? Do we want to buy uh, an existing house? Do we want to buy new construction? Do we want to build? We had all these questions, and Rowena walked us through. She has a ton of resources that like helped us price out uh, the cost to build, land acquisition costs, and all of that stuff. Um, and then also, like, well, how are you going to build uh, to get a maximum return on the investment if you're going to be selling in a few years? Because far be it for me to suggest that uh, this uh, radio industry uh, isn't nomadic, but... Uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. So uh, who knows? We don't know what five years, 10 years down the road are going to bring. So uh, what are the decisions you want to make when you're buying the house now that will give you the maximum return later? Uh, she helps with all of that stuff. And if you're looking to sell a house, uh, she markets these homes in a way that gets them sold quickly and for more money. She was used to be in marketing. She built a whole system around uh, the real estate uh, industry marketing. So uh, give her a call. Put her to work for you. 333-4483. The website is mountainhomehunt.com. That's mountainhomehunt.com. Call Rowena today and then start packing. So Christopher Rufo is uh, founder and director of Battlefront, which is a public policy research center. And he is doing... Uh, work. He is fighting the fight on this critical race theory. And he has a big uh, write-up. It's actually a speech uh, that he uh, delivered at Hillsdale College uh, on March 30th. It appeared at the uh, the Hillsdale College uh, bro- or, uh, pamphlet that they put out uh, once a month, I believe, or once every two weeks called Imprimus. And it's free, by the way, so you can subscribe if you would like. And uh, he says in this speech that it helps to begin, if you're trying to understand critical race theory, Uh, It helps to begin with a brief history of Marxism. The Marxist left originally built its political program on the theory of class conflict, and Marx believed that the primary characteristic of industrial societies was the imbalance of power between capitalists and workers. The solution to that imbalance, according to Marx, was revolution, right? The workers would eventually gain consciousness, class consciousness, which, by the way, swap out class and insert race, and you have an understanding of what's going on now. So instead of class consciousness, we're talking about race consciousness, right? Because once the workers gain class consciousness of their plight, they seize the means of production, they overthrow the capitalist class, and they usher in a new socialist society. And during the 20th century, a number of regimes underwent Marxist-style revolutions, and each one ending in disaster. Socialist governments in Soviet Union, in China, Cambodia, Cuba, and elsewhere racked up a body count of about 100 million people. And uh, by the mid-60s, Marxist intellectuals in the West had begun to acknowledge these failures. They recoiled at revelations of Soviet atrocities. They came to realize that workers' revolutions... Uh, would never occur in Western Europe or the U.S., where there was large uh, a large middle class and a rapidly improving standards of living. Right, Marxism cannot compete with that. Um, of course, Marxism doesn't really compete with anything because it is, after all, Marxism. <laughs> okay, all right. Look, that's an easy joke to make, but you know, I make them. All right, Americans in particular, he says, had never developed a sense of class consciousness or class division. Most Americans believed in the American dream, the idea that you could transcend your origins through education, through hard work and good citizenship. But rather than abandon their leftist political project, he says, Marxist scholars in the West simply adapted. They adapted their revolutionary theory to the social and racial unrest of the 60s. Abandoning Marx's economic dialectic of capitalists and workers, they substituted race for class and sought to create a revolutionary coalition of the dispossessed based on racial and ethnic categories. Fortunately, the early proponents of this revolutionary coalition in America lost out in the 1960s to... The Civil Rights Movement, which sought instead the fulfillment of the American promise of freedom and equality under the law. Americans preferred the idea of improving their country to that of overthrowing it. Right? That right there, this rejection, and that's why CRT, critical race theory, right? That's why 
it ignores and downplays, minimizes, dismisses the idea of advances that were made in the civil rights movement. They chalk it up to, well, they were only done because they benefited white people, right? They have to do this because the civil rights movement captured it, harnessed all that the American idea is about and put it to work for the betterment of people, right? That was that was the way forward. But Marxism can't have that. Marxism needs there to be the conflict. Has to be in a per, there has to be a perpetual state of conflict between good guys, which is us, of course, and the bad guys, which is those other people over there that disagree with us. And Marxism is uh, self-destructive because of that. Because you're always going to be seeking to make enemies of others. Whereas free market capitalism, while yes, there is competition, what is it in service of? It is in service of the customer, right? Trying to get more customers, convince more people to buy your stuff. It makes everybody think of other people. Marxism does not. Marxism makes you think of yourself. Uh, There are a series of euphemisms deployed by its supporters to describe critical race theory, Christopher Rufo says, including equity, social justice, diversity and inclusion, culturally responsive teaching. That came up in our conversation with AP, Dylan. Um, Critical race theorists, masters of language construction, realize that neo-Marxism is a pretty hard sell. Equity, on the other hand, well, that sounds non-threatening. It is easily confused with the American principle of equality. These two terms are different. Critical race guru Ibram X. Kendi, who directs the Center for Anti-Racist Research at Boston University, um, he said, quote, in order to truly be anti-racist, you also have to be truly anti-capitalist. In other words, Identity is the means and Marxism is the end. An equity-based form of government would mean the end not only of private property, but also of individual rights, equality under the law, federalism, and freedom of speech. And these would be replaced by race-based redistribution of wealth, group-based rights, active discrimination, and omnipotent bureaucratic authority. Historically, the accusation of anti-Americanism has been overused, but in this case, it's not a matter of interpretation. It's true. That's a wrap for the episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, please subscribe to the podcast and uh, don't break anything while I'm gone.